Hello, and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news, and give you unique insights into the industry. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 117th episode in a show called Stumbling Cat, A Curious Tale. Today is Monday, the 11th of April, and we're going to talk to Renee Gittens, CEO of Stumbling Cat, for the game Potions, A Curious Tale. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, first question I like to ask people is, what is your news of the week? What's going on for you that's uh, worth talking about? It can be personal or about the game, whatever you like. Uh, so on April 8th, we actually just launched our Kickstarter uh, for Potions of Curious Tales. So that's really exciting for us. And uh, it's been quite the wild ride to get here. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, I've had a few Kickstarters in my time too. So uh, I'm going to just tell you that I hope that you sleep well for the next few weeks because you probably won't sleep? again after that. What sleep? <laughs> exactly. Oh man, the first couple days, that's such a rush. Yeah, uh, we actually, we did 20% on our first day, which is, oh, is really strong. So um, everything is telling us that we're going to be successful. But you know, you get to that middle of the campaign lull and it, it's really tough to... to, to keep pushing forward. Um, but it, you know, I'm really happy uh, with all the support that we've received and uh, I'm hoping for the best. Yeah. I just, it sounds like you did a really smart thing where you already had, you know, a well, a well respected game, uh, kind of an audience already going into this. So, uh, you know, you've spoken about it before and you've kind of showed it elsewhere and, and it sounds like you really did a lot of good setup for a successful Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Kickstarter is not quite like it was in 2012. You can't just have concept art and a, a strong idea. You really need to show that you, you have a game that exists and is polished. And you just need those funds to, to help finish it. And, and that's what we need. Exactly. Okay, well, tell me about your history. Uh, I know you, you were uh, trained in producing and engineering, and now suddenly you're CEO and founding a company. How do you make the transition from some of that background into deciding to just take that leap? Yeah, well, uh, as, as you mentioned, I actually have a decent amount of experience in uh, project management. Uh, while I got my degree in engineering, my specializations in engineering were mechanical engineering and project management. So I took a number of courses and led projects back then uh, for Mazda and uh, Los Alamos National Laboratories uh, before moving on into the biotech field. Um, so that background has, has really assisted me um, transitioning to where I am now. Around my senior year of college, I actually became aware that being a game developer was an actual career path. <laughs> For some reason, I hadn't considered it at all uh, when I was younger. No one had approached me with programming. Uh, no one had told me about game developers. They were kind of games came out of the magic Internet or CDs or, well, uh, I guess floppy disks back in the day. <laughs> So upon really hearing about that, I became really intrigued. You know, I've been a huge gamer my whole life, uh, and video game development seems to, or well, at the time, really seemed to include a lot of uh, skills that I was interested in. And luckily, it has proven uh, to be true. So I get to be technical, um, I get to solve uh, logic problems, but I also get to design things, I get to be creative too. And, you know, that's what initially attracted me to mechanical engineering, because I could do both the hardcore mechanical side and the more uh, beautiful industrial design side. So upon realizing that game development was a potential path, I actually started teaching myself programming. I had taken an introduction to programming course in college, 
but then I really started diving into it uh, in my spare time while working in the biotech industry. Um, in enough, right in my spare time, <laughs> what I had, um, you know, and I, I was able to prove myself enough that I was actually able to switch over from the, in, the mechanical engineering team over to the software team in biotech. And then I got a ton of experience, uh, hands-on with working on software there. Then of course, in all of my spare time, uh, I started moonlighting for an indie company, uh, called Fixer Studios. And I picked up more direct game development knowledge while going to every single game, uh, game event, game developer event that I could and really building my network and my connections there. So about two and a half years after, uh, after college, um, I felt prepared to step into the, the game world. And, uh, it, to me, I had a, I had a bunch of skills, but I didn't have the resume experience that I needed to, I don't know, snag some job in AAA, nor was I really sure that's what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to have an effect on something that I thought I was helping create. So I decided to start working on my own project. At first, it was just me trying to prove to myself that it was something that I could get done. Uh, but the design was so addictive, uh, people responding really well to it. And I has really proved to myself that I could make this game. So, uh, six months into the project, I started building out my team and just over a year later, here I am. And you're at four people now? Is that so? Uh, four core people, uh, 10 total contributors. We, we have a lot of people, uh, who, who contribute, but not full time. So we have a, um, we have a graphic designer who helps us do our logos and some of our icons. Uh, we have a concept artist who's helped us with some of our character and monster designs, um, and then we have several writers who have also contributed, um, aside from our core team, which consists of myself. I do all of the engineering and the main design, all the biz dev stuff. And then I have an environment artist named Jake Neal. He is based out of London. I have a character artist and animator, uh, Wesley Eldridge. He's based out of Seattle with me. And then our audio engineer who does all of the sound effects and music, and that's Joshua Duchesne. And he's based out of Seattle as well. The name Stumbling Cat seems like it comes with an interesting story, and I know that you have a love of beer, so I'm just going to let you explain that one. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so my normal ex explanation for Stumbling Cat is I do have a cat named Calcifer. Uh, he is quite the klutz. Uh, he, he's a very graceful creature, but not always. It falls off of many things. Uh, however... Uh, I guess you sort of found me out here. I, I don't normally give the, uh, the true explanation. Um, yes, uh, I love cats. I, I've loved cats my entire life. I do love fear. And uh, my my partner, when I asked him, he's like, I'm, I'm making a company. What should I name it? He's like, well, name it something that will make people think of you. Uh, and so I was like, oh, cat. I need to do cat. Drunken cat. No, that sounds like a terrible name. You don't want to tell you your company's name, Drunken Cat. And there's a there's a local bar called Stumbling Monk. And I was like, ah, Stumbling, it's Stumbling Cat. There you go. And you know it's cute. You get the the gracefulness of the cat uh, juxtaposed with the uh, with the stumbling. Um, and you know, I can make a really good excuses for the name when it comes to it. <laughs> Excellent, love it. Okay, now the game itself, the idea uh, for potions. It, I read that you kind of 
grew up gaming, you know, with your dad and that some of the games that you're interested in were like Wolfenstein and Doom and Duke Nukem. <laughs> it's an interesting transition from, from like that kind of inspiration into, you know, uh, Potion's a Curious Tale of this kind of RPG walkthrough witchery. I don't know. It's like a fairy tale-esque feel. Like, how did you make that that decision to go in this direction? And what was the inspiration for that game? Right. Well, uh, you know, speaking to my childhood, my, my dad really liked first-person shooters. So, so that's what I was introduced to first. Uh, I like to uh, list my first four games I ever played in order. Uh, Wolfenstein 3D, Doom, Duke Nukem 3D, Pokemon Yellow. So... <laughs> You know, I still I still got introduced to those games. It just took a little while. Um, I was asking my dad why you gave the dancing ladies money in Duke Nukem 3D <laughs> before I really understood the world. Let's say, um, but you know, I've I've always found myself really um, love in love with fantasy and fantasy books uh, fantasy novels were something that i consumed quite heavily as a child uh i grew up with harry potter actually um the books were released fairly close to, uh where i was always the same age as harry potter really when they were coming out for the most part uh, i remember sitting on my 11th birthday and being like i really hope an owl comes to the door i know it probably oh. won't but if that's the case that'd be awesome <laughs> that'd be awesome right um but yeah, so one thing that I, th I really like about potions is there's been so many games where I love the mechanics, but the game doesn't quite scratch all the itches that I have. Um, and then there are games where I love the characters and I, I love the setting, uh, but doesn't have quite all the combat stuff that I like. And so potions was really the opportunity for me to take a, a young uh, female character and throw her into a world that has hard problems and tricky combat, but still have her be relatable and a, a character that I feel really invested in and a, a story and world that I find interesting and appealing as well. Uh, tell me more about Gobbler. And, the, and I'm tying that into the idea of combat is not always the answer to every single solution that you have in the game. And it's more about making you know, smart decisions that may apply in different specific situations. Right. Uh, so Gobbler is this giant wild turkey. Uh, and if, if you play through the demo of Potions of Curious Tale, he's actually the first non-aggressive creature that you run into. And he looks terrifying. Um, he's he's almost as as large as the, uh, the the giant spiders that you encounter. He's oversized, angry-looking turkey. Uh, however, since he doesn't attack you, he poses no immediate threat. However, you realize uh, from things around him that he does drop feathers, which are very important to use in your basic health potions, your healing potions. If you attack him, he will completely enrage. He will charge at you. He hits you for a third of your life. Uh, he boots you across the map, basically, and heals himself. Uh, and it's sort of a first call to the player, like, "Hey, look! Don't attack everything. Like that's not always that's always the answer." So you do get a hint um, that. Though the turkey may have wings, it is scared of flying things. And Luna, being a, a witch, 
has a magical broom, which you can fly on. And if you use it to chase this turkey around, it will freak out and run away gobbling while knocking feathers off of itself. If you instead somehow manage to kill the turkey, it's difficult but possible. Uh, he doesn't drop anything at all. So this is an encounter in the game where the the op- the correct way of approaching it, if you want the ingredients from the turkey, is to to chase it around on your broom. Uh, and I think that's a really good example of how you know brute forcing everything in this game just isn't isn't the right approach. I love how you you made it so that he drops nothing because I know certain people, probably me, would just say, this is my goal now. Like, I'm going to get to the point in this game where I have the, the type of power and the strongest potion that I can go back and kill Gobbler because I must know what happens when he dies. And then there's nothing. I love that. I love that lesson. Yeah, you know, I had been considering, like, oh, maybe, maybe he'll drop something super rare if you kill him. They're like, but that's not really the point, right? The point is that you're not supposed to. So you fry his feathers off or whatever if you kill him and... Oh, now I have a really good idea for his death animation. I don't <laughs> <about> that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, looking through uh, the story and then watching the videos and seeing the gameplay, etc., uh, it seems like Prince Charming is actually, uh, you might call him an antagonist or the bad guy. So uh, would, th- would you say, like they do in Princess Bride, this is not a kissing book? <laughs> Yeah, um, I thought, you know, I am bringing in so many different characters uh, from different lore and fairy tales. Mm-hmm. But one of the problems with a lot of the, the Western fairy tales is there is this Prince Charming character who's supposed to, to be the hero and solve all the problems. Well, obviously, the character, the main character in my story is, is going to be Luna. And she's no Prince Charming. She's not looking for true love. Uh, so having him be an antagonist really kind of helps be able to include his, his Prince Charming character if he's necessary uh, to explain the, the plot or the story as it's supposed to exist, but has the ability to give Luna the credit. So he'll come in after Luna's saved the day and then steal all the credit away. And you know, you'll be like, God darn it. It's that darn Prince Charming again, just like being rude and taking all the credit, even though for my hard work and it sort of gives you that additional back, back tales of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the story and the cultural aspects, I noticed some Russian, uh, different kinds of, uh, you know, global, uh, names for things what kind of culture did you draw from to get the different stories and the classic kind of tale bits that you put together Uh, so we've drawn from many cultures and our goal is to have uh as many cultures as we can fit in from all over the world this is supposed to be a very worldly uh game in a way that if you play through this you're not going to feel like well you're going to be learning about new characters and such but it's going to actually train you uh and teach you about different cultures from all over the world. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, we have the, the common Russian uh, character, uh, Baba Yaga, who is in many uh, fairy tales and folklore. She's sort of a force of nature. Uh, and then we have uh, Tripitaka and Sun Wukong from Journey to the West, uh, which is very popular in uh, China and Japan. Uh, we have the Zakam fruit from uh, Islamic legend, uh, 
And then we're, we're, we're working on getting some African lore in there as well. And, and I'm familiar with some of the lore from the Americas. And we're all sort of working on getting chupacabras and everything uh, integrated. All right. Uh, you've talked before about VR, and I've seen some uh, you know, passion that you have for this. Is VR going to make an appearance eventually in this game, or are you going to wait for a, a future version of games that you design down the road to be VR compatible? So, at least in this potion uh, po- version of Potions of Curious Tale, I don't plan on having VR uh, implemented. It's very much a 2D game. Uh, however... I have theorized about a potion crafting game where you're actually standing over a cauldron, uh, dropping in ingredients and stirring around. Uh, but that's not fully uh, thought out yet. So you know, potentially, I'd love to explore that. But VR is also a, a very unproved medium right now. So I'm really hoping that it's strongly adopted because I want to plug myself into a VR MMO and... Uh, slay dragons all day but it's hard to say if there's going to be enough consumers out there with the headsets to to make sense uh, for making these games make sense vr games i know a lot of women who are interested in learning more about coding and engineering and there are several companies that actually kind of are now proponents of this helping women learn how to code etc uh it seems like you learned that yourself in school and decided that you were going to go that direction but now you're also really involved in Foundry 10. Is this the inspiration for you to, to help kids with programming? Or tell, tell us more about that project. Right. Um, yeah, so I was, I was invited to speak with Foundry 10 because they were looking for someone to teach their students about video game development. And one of my friends who is familiar with the program, uh, when was when he was asked uh, if he knew anyone who could help, uh, recommended me. Now, Foundry 10 is a really great organization. It was actually founded uh, by Gabe Newell and his wife and uh, Lisa Cadenza, who's the CEO of um, Foundry 10. And the reason for founding Foundry 10 was to study different types of learning and to see what was most effective for teaching children. And one of the programs that has come out of that uh, is their internship program. And that's the program that I mostly assist with. Their internship program is based around students determining a project that they want to make, submitting a formal proposal about it to Foundry 10. And then Foundry 10, if they accept the proposal, sets the students up with a professional from the industry that the project is based out of and gives the interns that mentorship to finish their project. So I get all of these students who are interested in programming and game development. I currently have four teams, uh, two who are actually working on VR games, uh, one's more of a VR experience, and then uh, two who are working on more traditional games. One is working on an RPG game and one is working on a survival horror game. And it's really great and refreshing to go in and talk with these students uh, every week and see not only their passion and interest in games and creating them, but to remind myself of the basics of game development. Um, in, in mentoring these students, I'm reminded about keeping track of scope creep and <laughs> keeping the, the goals always in mind. 
And it really helps me uh, to be, be repeating these ideas to someone else uh, because they remind them, uh, they remind myself of them as well. Also working with a team, I would imagine that uh, even adults, you'd probably continue to say the same thing that you're saying to the children uh, with your own team or with other teams that you work with. It seems like a universal concept that would pretty much apply no matter what age you're Oh, definitely. Um, I, I think that it's always an ongoing process, um, especially, you know, uh, the, the term scope creep. I'm not sure if everyone's familiar with that. A scope creep is when the scope of your project, uh, the things that you plan to include, continues to grow. And it seems fairly harmless at first. You're like, oh, well, wouldn't it be so much better if Luna had a garden and she was able to grow seeds and seeds of plants she could grow in her garden? And that's like, oh, cool. Yeah, that sounds really neat. And then you realize, okay, well, if she has a garden, we need to figure out which plants drop seeds and at what rarity. And then we need to figure out how long they all live. And maybe we need to have a system for watering. And maybe we need to have a system where she gets water. Maybe, we need, And then it just suddenly turns into this big, gigantic uh, task or a series of tasks. And you end up spending half of your development cycle on a bunch of things that aren't core to the, the gameplay. So... Avoiding that uh, is really important, but you're always trying to make the best game possible. So you have to, to balance adding in new things or making things uh, potentially slightly more complicated uh, with the amount of time it'll take to develop. Because if you make a game that has everything in it that you could think of, you're basically recreating the world and no <laughs> one's going to be able to finish that. This is what expansions are for. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to see, you know, this this program talking about uh, uh, that as well as um, I don't know if you're familiar, like with Foundry 10, I don't know if you're familiar with another program kind of similar to that by Katie Kasmai, who works at Google. It's called Moonshots 10K. Um, just the idea that uh, it seems to be kind of permeating, I guess, younger people or people that are learning is, is it just a different way of approaching problems where you either see it from the perspective of what needs to be solved rather than like so specific. It's more of a global, I don't know, like a global way of looking at something that you aren't mired in the practical details. You're just looking at the, what needs to be solved. Let's brainstorm and come up with something. And especially kids are just great at that. It must be really cool to work at Foundry 10. It, it is super cool. Uh, I haven't heard of, do you say it was Moonshots? Yeah, it's called Moonshots 10K. Moonshots 10K. No, I haven't heard of that before. Um, and it is really great working with these kids. Um, but I, I'm almost a little concerned as well when I work, when I first work with a student group, um, you know, by the end of the internship, they're, they're awesome and you know, doing really well. But at the beginning, what I notice is when they find a problem that they haven't seen before, instead of trying to figure it out or search for answers, uh, they almost always directly come to me or sit there saying I'm stuck. Oh. Uh, so a big part of what I teach when I'm working with these students is how to take a problem they haven't seen before and break it down and find the resources they need to solve it. Uh, because I think that's really important uh, in, in game development and in life is the ability to come across something you haven't encountered and figure out how to use your resources, use the library or use Google, uh, or maybe, you know, use your, your friends and uh, your peers. Mm -hmm. 
But I think that problem solving um, and the approach to problem solving is not really taught well in schools, uh, at least in the U.S. anymore. See, this is why you're making this game. Problem solving with limited resources. Right, exactly. And you have to go out and figure it out yourself. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, getting into the more serious subjects, uh, it seems like there is a large female cast of NPCs, and uh, I've been reading about some of your experiences as a female developer and just kind of like, getting into this uh, area. Do you feel like there's going to be a reaction where people look at this and say, oh, this is a girl game, quote unquote? <laughs> Uh, I have had that reaction or I've had that, uh, someone called it a, I, I really like the art and I really like the mechanics, but it seems more like a girly game. I wish you could play as a witch or wizard. I found that as a very interesting feedback, uh, mostly because, well, the, the <laughs> story is about Luna, wizards. right? <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, and I, I totally agree that, uh, you know, it's great to be able to play as the, someone you identify with. Uh, however, I do think that Luna and her gender, I mean, Luna is the character and she is important to the game's story. Now, if you're playing someone um, who you create your own personality, like if you're playing an Elder Scrolls game, being able to pick your gender is really important because it is you creating the story. Uh, however, I, I feel like in potions of curious tale that that's not the case you know you are experiencing the story and you are participating in the story but it's really luna's story um and the story of the cast that she encounters so you know i i do have concerns that people are going to dismiss this as like oh well that's a game for girls because it's not no more than tomb raider is a game for girls right or or you know uh no more than portal is a game for girls just because you're playing a female character you know, it doesn't mean that that's the only target audience. Gotcha. It seems that you're very involved with the IGDA. How did how did that come about? And uh, tell me more about it. It's something I've been considering myself. Right. So uh, the IGDA is the International Game Developers Association. Uh, it is, as in its name, an international association uh, for game developers. And what the IGDA does is they provide resources um, to, to game developers and they try to stand up for game developers to help make sure that their lives and their work lives are as, as pleasant as possible. So right now, um, IGDA is currently tackling crunch. Uh, crunch is a really big issue in our industry. And what crunch is, is crunch is when developers are forced to or required to um, work over 40 hours a week, over five days a week, and really work more than a person should and stay sane to meet a deadline for a project. Now, this happens a lot in the industry that people spend a year in crunch and maybe six months out and then go right back into crunch again. And so, you know, it's, it's very taxing. It can be damaging your family life. And that's something that IGA has decided that they want to try to reduce. Um, I was, I got involved with IGDA because in my, all of my networking and attending every single game uh, event I could in Seattle, I was, I started t attending um, IGDA events and I, I tend to be a, uh, a very vocal and noticeable person. <laughs> so uh, IGA actually, uh, the Seattle chapter of IGA approached me and asked me to be a member of their board uh, to help with event planning and for 
creating resources to support our local developers. So I became involved with that just about a year ago. And since then, I've been helping organize events, uh, job fairs, micro talks, panels. And I find it really rewarding because I get to help help connect uh, developers with each other and give them the resources that they need to do their best. In your spare time. In my spare time, yeah. <laughs> um, if you haven't realized yet, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, uh, a masochist when it comes to, <laughs> to having time to sleep and uh, rest. And so I just fill my day with, with everything I can otherwise. Gotcha. Um, talking about your team members and the four and then the ten that are also helping, uh, how did you go about finding people that you felt would fit the team and... Uh, I guess I'd say, which, which method of the several that you've outlined in some of your team building skills did you use to do so? <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's really funny. I, I've used multiple of them in, in that regard. Um, let's see. I posted on r slash game devs classified, and that's how my environment artist contacted me. Um, that's Jake Neal. And I think I got 50 responses or something to my posts and he rose to the top out of all of them. And he, he's been a real pleasure to work with. Um, Wesley, I believe he saw one of my posts either on game dev classified or on the unity forums, uh, looking for work forums. And he contacted me, uh, with a page that he had done concept art for my game. So it was really great to see someone taking that initiative and going out there and making art and ideas for the game even before uh, we had started working together. So, you know, that gave him gave him the extra bonus points. Uh, and I, I had just lost my previous uh, animator I had been working with um, who fell off the face of the planet and stopped responding to emails. So I don't know what happened there. Oh, no. So, yeah, you know, that actually happens a decent amount. Um not recently, luckily. Um, Joshua Duchesne, I met at a game industry meetup. Um, we started talking and I told him I, I needed an audio person and he said he was an audio person and we met up for lunch later and started working together and that relationship has gone really well. Um, something very uncommon on my team uh, is a family member. So my mother actually uh, has been helping out recently with the development of potions because she received her master's in literature and spent 38 years working and, and recently retired. And after she retired, I contacted her and I said, hey, mom, you know, I'm trying to do all of this research on different cultures and fairy tales around the world. And I have no time to do this. Um, would you like to join my team as sort of my advisor uh, and one of my writers? on these subjects. And uh, so she, she joined the team, I think, in June or July um, this last year, and she's been extremely helpful. Maybe it was later than that. But yeah, uh, her research into what characters look like and uh, different items from cultures and lore has been extremely helpful, and it's, it's really a pleasure to have her on there. Uh, and then my other writer, uh, David Dunn, uh, has been one of my friends for a really long time. I, I think we met, oh, just over five years ago now. So I, I get my, my, my team from everywhere, from all corners. Excellent. Uh, let's close by talking about your Kickstarter. Uh, I also saw that you were available on Steam. Is this so? 
Uh, we are coming soon on Steam. Okay. Wink, wink. Uh, so we're, we have a page on Steam, um, and we are going to be available on Steam when the game is complete or when beta starts coming out, truthfully. Gotcha. And PC only, or what are the platforms this is for? Uh, we're going to do PC, Mac, and Linux. Uh, we're going to have a release on Steam, and we're also going to have a DRM-free download as well. Uh, so looking at the Kickstarter, what what's your goal for this? Basically, once you get six to two thousand dollars, or hopefully more, um, are you what are you going to use this for? What should people be thinking about when they donate? Are you hiring more people? How is this all working? So the vast majority of the money is going to be going uh, to content creation. Uh, our game is pretty pretty solid when it comes to a vertical slice. Uh, we have all of the crafting and uh, inventory and combat systems in there. But what we really need is just more characters, more story, more environments, uh, and more boss fights. So the money is really going to go to uh, helping those get fleshed out. Um, I actually I pay every person on my team uh, for their work, so... We have no starving artists. <laughs> Excellent. Yay. And and the money is, is going to be going to the team to support them and support our development of those areas. And everyone can find you on kickstarter.com. If you do a search for Potions of Curious Tale, um, anywhere else they should look to, to find more about the game. Yeah, you can find additional information on our website, uh, potionsofcuriousstale.com. Uh, we actually have a, a Facebook and Twitter as well. And uh, our Facebook page is going to soon be hosting uh, art, potion design creation, and uh, audio contests. So please uh, check us out on Facebook as well. Yeah, Stumbling Cat is the Facebook. Okay, anything else that you feel I should ask before we wrap up? Oh? Uh, we didn't get to talk about that you're dying to say. Jeez, huh. I feel like I've probably covered uh, almost all the points. Um... Yeah, I'm just I'm super excited that that uh, I get to work with. Oh, I guess that's one thing. Um, one thing that I'm really excited about with Kickstarter uh, is getting all of these these backers and this community support that I can work with. Uh, since we're working on bringing in cultures from around the world, having people bring their favorite fairy tales and stories to me is going to be a really core part of the development of the game. So I'm really looking forward to to hearing everyone's favorite favorite tales from their childhood awesome okay everyone hey thanks to renee hope you will check out the kickstarter and uh you can find it on the sites listed and i will link them as well when i put up the show